This is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. California and other states hitting Facebook's parent company, Meta, with a big federal lawsuit. They claim that Meta tries to get kids addicted to social media. We'll go in-depth. Some researchers say they have the answer to ease a traffic problem and another TikTok trend that can be dangerous for a woman's health. We start, though, with the big federal lawsuit against Meta. Jim Steyer is founder and CEO of Common Sense Media. They've been warning parents about the problems with social media companies. Jim, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you, gentlemen. So what do you think is the significance of this particular lawsuit? Oh, this is a huge deal for kids and families and educators here in Los Angeles and all across the country, because the great majority of attorneys general in the United States are finally taking a stand against Meta's harmful and addictive design practices. And as you mentioned in the opening, Common Sense Media has led the way for nearly a decade in calling out these practices. And I actually gave the keynote speech at the National Association of Attorneys General's conference two years ago in which I said it's about time the attorneys general of the United States held platforms like Meta and Instagram accountable for the impact they're having on the social and emotional well-being of young people and on their mental health. What's it a hard sell getting this over the hump? Because uh, usually you can sell that something is a problem due to its being addictive if you can show some kind of physical aspect of it. And I think there was some pushback originally because this was something that that uh, it was said couldn't be defined. It's a, it's a mental thing and it's it's no different than, you know, advertising and marketing that gets us addicted to Coca-Cola. Great question. And the truth is what we did was we showed the attorneys general that kids and teens are constantly targeted with harmful content that can result in things like self-harm, eating disorders, body image issues, identity issues, and even drug use. And so we gave very specific evidence, and the record is clear, actually, that this is a challenge for literally millions of teens and young people here in the Los Angeles area and all across the country. And the endless scrolls of negative content that keep them hooked in order for platforms like Meta and Instagram to make a profit. So Proving it and having that evidence was critical for the attorneys general to step forward. And now they've done so. And that is a very big deal. All right. But let me ask you about uh, whether or not uh, this isn't similar to some other forms of of media that young kids are, uh, you can argue, addicted to. I mean, you know, you can make the argument they're addicted to violent TV programs. They're addicted to violent motion pictures. In fact, motion pictures, probably the action films have gotten more and more violent and the audience that they're aimed at are, you know, basically a younger demographic. Uh, aren't they all kind of guilty of the same thing then? You, you, could, you could say that they all have violent content, but I wouldn't agree on the term addictive because you watch a movie and it's over. I would say the closest comparison would be violent video games. But even there, kids in general are not spending nearly as much time glued to a video game screen as they are to social media. Although video games are the closest comparison as opposed to say movie or TV shows. But it's not just violence. A lot of the content that really is unhealthy for our kids' social, emotional, cognitive development is not just about violence. It's about things like eating disorders and body images and self-harm and bullying and other stuff that really goes to the core of the youth mental health crisis in the United States. So 
while there are some comparisons to the violent stuff, and it was Common Sense Media that brought the big national lawsuits against the video game industry well over a decade ago, this is unique. And I think every parent in the audience knows, and every young person in the audience knows, that these platforms are genuinely addictive and that some of the harms are very significant. So Attorney General Rob Bonta and other attorney generals around the country have done us all a service by bringing this lawsuit. Will you be disappointed if this goes to uh, this gets argued out in the courts and the settlement winds up being that uh, Meta pays some money, but then they slap a warning label on their social media, like like a cigarette warning label saying this can be dangerous for kids, addictive, yada, yada. And then they everybody walks away and they feel like they've done their done their part. Well, I think we'll get more than that. But by the way, those warning labels really matter. If you want to look at the cigarette analogy, which I think is a very thoughtful one, folks, is basically there's been a dramatic decrease in the last 25 years in youth smoking. Everyone knows that. This is a really positive public health gain for this country. If we saw over the next decade or two a massive decrease in the amount of time spent on social media platforms, particularly consuming and using really inappropriate content that could be negative for young people's mental health, that would be a huge win. So I think this is sort of like the the era when big tobacco finally got taken on. And please note that U.S. Attorney uh, Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, has deemed social media unsafe for the health and well-being of young people. That's a big deal as well. Jim, let me ask you to quickly react to what Meta says. They say that it's disappointed in the lawsuit, and they also add that they've been working to provide a safer environment for teenagers on the apps. It says that it's introduced more than 30 tools to support teens and families. What do you say about that? I would say that the evidence is just clear that the addictive nature of that platform and their behavior over the past 15 years just belies that statement. Look, if you think that we can trust Meta to self-police and then ask parents to be responsible for all this, then I have a bridge to sell you in New York that we can fly to Los Angeles. I do not think that is a reasonable perspective. We have given Facebook and Instagram, et cetera, so much notice about this. They're very aware, as the Francis Haugen testimony in front of Congress proved a couple of years ago, of the damage and harms this can cause to young people. So the idea that this is going to be left to parents and a few tools they put on the platform just begs the question of why we need this kind of lawsuit that the attorneys general have come forward with. All right, Jim Steyer, thank you so much. Founder and CEO of Common Sense Media. You know, I was thinking based on one of the things he said, I wonder how many people over the years on the show tried to sell us bridges. Uh, quite a few. And yeah. and I have to confess, I have bought some of them. So you have a collection? I have a collection of bridges in my house. Oh, good for you. Um, toll bridges? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Come by and uh, drive over them. Yeah, but how much? Uh, 50 cents. That's reasonable. Yeah, I'm yeah. a good guy. Right now, though, it was a rough day for former President Trump. When it comes to his legal problems, another defendant in the Georgia case pleaded guilty as part of a plea deal. And Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohn, testified in New York at Trump's civil fraud trial. Attorney Gene Rossi is back with us. He's a former federal prosecutor. Gene, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So, you know, we we said it's a, a, a rough day for Trump. I'm not quite sure that any day is rough for Trump. He doesn't seem to to indicate that anyway. Uh, but from a legal point of view, was it a, a difficult day? 
it was extremely difficult. Let me focus on the uh, Michael Cohen testimony. I haven't was I listened to parts of it, just a news summary. What Michael Cohen is saying is very devastating because he's in the room and he has memory of, of conversations with Mr. Weisselberg, but especially with Mr. Trump. And the purpose is very simple. Mr. Trump picked the number that he was going to give magazines about his net worth because he was obsessed with being on the Forbes top 100 uh, billionaires or were however many billionaires. And he gave him a number and he told Weisselberg and Michael Cohen, according to Cohen, elevate and inflate my assets to meet this number. And those numbers were then given to financial authorities and they were false. That's extremely devastating testimony. And the most important part is his testimony, Mr. Cohen's testimony is corroborated by documents and other communications. So for Mr. Trump, that is an extremely bad piece of testimony in this trial. And I might add that uh, Mr. Trump was trying to do a stare down of Michael Cohen. Well, I think it backfired because Michael Cohen probably stared him back and said, I got you. So a bad day on that front, that's New York. But another bad day in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, with the guilty plea of um, Jen Ellis. So we now have four people who have pleaded guilty among the 19 in this RICO, with the head of the spear being Donald Trump. Why is Jen Ellis important? She's the third attorney. Let me repeat this. She is the third attorney for Donald Trump to have pleaded guilty. Let me let me but ask you a question. With, with Jenna Ellis pleading guilty, taking a yes. plea deal, is time running out for Rudy Giuliani to get a deal? Um, I would say yes, and here's why. The deals that come in early are very generous. As a prosecutor, I gave deals like you wouldn't believe in the early part of an investigation because I wanted to reward those who come in early. So they're getting probation. Jen Ellis, Sidney Powell, uh, Mr. Chesbro. They got probation. But the deals that probably will come in the next month or two, maybe uh, next year, are not going to be as generous. So Rudy Giuliani has to think to himself, do I want to fall on the sword for Mr. Trump or do I want to try to preserve my legacy and avoid going to the big house, also known as jail? For, for Rudy Giuliani, the plea, guilty plea of Jen Ellis is just, just another brick in the wall that tells him I probably should cooperate. Now, he may go to trial, but Jen Ellis, Powell, and Chesbro, they provide context to the overall scheme to have fake electors. They provide context to what Donald Trump knew and felt about the election. And we all knew that he, he felt he lost. He was just trying to raise money by saying it was stolen. So those witnesses, lawyers, I have to add, are going to be very devastating witnesses, and they're going to testify against Donald Trump. Yeah, That's I mean, and, and I know we've we've talked about this on the program before, but but one of the other things other than Donald Trump that comes up from the assortment of trials that he faces is the number of attorneys who are involved as defendants. And now, as you've pointed out, 
who have also pleaded, in some cases, guilty. Um, <laughs> and it makes one wonder about, you know, no offense meant, Gene, because you're an attorney, but what does that say about attorneys? It says horrible things about attorney. I'm actually, I'm very embarrassed by some of the statements and actions of attorneys involved in this investigation. There are so many. There's one down in Port, Port, uh, Fort Pierce, uh, Florida. You got Atlanta. You got Jack Smith in, um, in uh, D.C. You have uh, Manhattan with Bragg, the state court. I'm embarrassed. And um, attorneys, like any profession, have rotten apples. Police, cops, there's rotten apples. What can you do? Doctors, the same thing. But I say this almost half facetiously, not 100%. You know, MAGA, the MAGA hat? Yeah. American great again? Okay, I didn't make this up. It should be transcribed differently. It should be make attorneys get attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. That is uh, Gene Rossi, a former federal prosecutor, joining us on In-Depth today. Later in the show, yes, it's another TikTok health trend. How many have we done of these? There are a trend every day. Yeah, there's like a TikTok yeah. trend yeah. every single day. This yeah. one... It's a trend of TikTok trends. You know, there is a trend of that. Yeah. And we should do that story. That'd about be a, good one, yeah. a trend of TikTok trends. Right now, though, Hollywood... No, no, stu- wait, 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 wait. I didn't get to the punchline. Oh, the pun- there's a punchline. You've, you've, you've jumped ahead of me, Stand sir. by. Yes. The, this TikTok trend. The new one. Right. The one we're going to talk about. Right. Not the other ones. Right. Because we've talked about those. The one that is currently in the future. The one that is currently in the future <laughs> is about bee pollen. And you're thinking, why would we talk about bee pollen? I feel bad for the uh, talented people who write the script for this show. <laughs> because we ruin it. Because we we take it and we just totally dance ruin all it. over I know, it. Totally ruin it. it. Boot prints on it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right now, though, Hollywood Studios and SAG after a meeting today with the hopes of ending the strike, getting everybody back to work. With us now is Hollywood media expert and author Michael Levine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, my friend. Thank you for sharing your valuable audience. I'm a big fan of the show. Oh, thank you so much. We appreciate hearing that. So with the uh, when this announcement first came out over the weekend that uh, yes, the sir. producers wanted to get back to the table, there was a little bit of, uh, I, I hate to characterize it as joy and elation, but it felt that way to me among the people making this announcement. Is there a reason to be hopeful do they know, perhaps, that the studios are willing to make a deal now? Well, look, uh, people in the end see what they want to see, hear what they want to hear, believe what they want to believe. And there are people who are deeply invested after a very long and painful and terribly expensive strike that uh, the solution is but hours away. But um Prophecy is dubious business. I I will say this, that whoever long wars favor people, uh, entities with large asset bases. That means in English, who's ever richer has the advantage in staying the course. And that would be the producers, right? So uh, it's hard to know what's going to happen. But this has been a terribly, terribly costly battle. And it, it depends on, you know, uh, how it plays out. But, it, but whoever has the larger asset base, which, in the, again, in this case is the producers, has an incentive for, for a longer war. 
and the people who have the lower asset base, that's the actors, have a uh, incentive for a shorter time. So, so which, which side? I know you don't want to predict the future, but if but if we didn't ask you to do that, we'd read, we'd have nothing to talk about for three more minutes. <laughs> so let, let's talk yeah, about that. No, no, I no, I understand that, and uh, and I have I've already indicated the prophecy is dubious business. Right. I'd like to believe that at, at, at a given point. Sooner than later, right. there will be some compromise because the pain inflicted on at least the actor side has been grave, much more than maybe initially thought of when the strike first began. And that leads I me to the, but that leads me to this question, Michael. Uh, does, yes, in your view, does SAG AFTRA are they yes, the sir. ones that have to come up with some kind of a face saving yes. uh, compromise? Correct. Correct. That is exa- you, that's a brilliant point. Usually solutions come out of face-saving proclamations. And so uh, you, you, really, you really hit it on the head. The question becomes, how do we allow one side to feel as if, or at least sell to their membership, that they got enough to make it worth the strike? And that becomes a face-saving uh, articulation. Michael Levine, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Hollywood media expert and author is sag after, and the studio is back at the table today. You're listening to KNX In-Depth, along with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, traffic sucks. We all know that. You might even be sitting in some of it right now. But the worst kind of traffic is when there's a slowdown with nothing going on. No accidents, no crunch of cars. Nothing. But there's a traffic jam. We've all been there. We've all done that. It's called phantom traffic. Well, researchers at Vanderbilt University, they have found one single way to end it all. Here to explain, we hope, is Dan Work, professor in civil and environmental engineering and computer science at Vanderbilt. Dan, thanks for uh, joining us. Glad to be here. Fortunately, you're not stuck in traffic, so you were able to uh, make it to this program. So tell us how uh, this is going to work. Yeah, you got the gist. When you're stuck in traffic with no apparent cause, uh, unfortunately, the cause is other drivers in front of you that you may never see. Basically, when one person taps on the brakes, the person behind them taps on the brakes a little bit harder to avoid crashing into the vehicle in front. By the time the third driver realizes what's going on, they tap on the brakes even further, and suddenly you've got cars coming to a complete stop, and it's due to the way that you and I drive. So here's an idea. If we change the way that we drive, maybe we could get rid of these traffic jams that we create. And we've got two options. Either we convince everybody else on the the roadway to drive better. That seems unlikely. Or we take the types of smart cruise controls that are coming on cars that you and I can buy today, and we make a small change to them. And if we change it in just the right way, they can uh, prevent those traffic jams that you and I create. How would you do that? Do. How would you change it? It's actually surprisingly simple. If you are creating a traffic jam, a phantom traffic jam, what you are doing is basically following the car in front of you. The car in front of you races ahead to get stuck in traffic and then slams on the brakes. Then they race ahead and only get caught in the next jam down the roadway. If you traveled at the average speed of that car, you'd end up at the same spot on the roadway as the vehicle in front in the same amount of time, 
but you could drive a little bit slower when they're racing ahead. And because you did that, you could drive faster when they're at a complete standstill. So driving at a constant speed is all it takes. The good thing about the automation systems on the cars today is that they are much better uh, behaved than we are. I know it's hard to, to maintain a steady speed. I, if there's a free space, I want to fill it, uh, partly because everybody else is trying to do the same thing. But if enough cars drive at a more steady speed, they can really have an outsized impact. Really, one, one good car can influence another 20 cars behind it to keep everybody driving more uh, smoothly. And the fuel impacts on this are, are, are dramatic. If you get rid of that stop and go driving, you can cut the fuel consumed by all the cars in the freeway by about 40% when they're in that stop-go driving compared to smooth uniform flow. You know, Dan, I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought up the use of adaptive cruise control. It's not it's not self-driving cars. A lot of cars have adaptive cruise control, and I, I knew my car had it. It's not a new car. It's a couple of years old, but I knew it had it. I never utilized it that much. I started using it, and I've fallen in love with it, especially, you know, when you're driving on the 170 and 101 on the way to work like I do. Uh, it It is great, and it knows when to slow down, when to stop and basically I'm steering the car and and I've always got my foot ready to go in case the the adaptive cruise control doesn't react quickly enough but the problem then becomes how do you convince the dumb driver the one who who causes these phantom traffic jams to use that adaptive uh cruise control short of uh, yanking them out of their car and yelling at them until they do it that, that's that's kind of the beauty I mean you, you hit it the nail on the head the smart cruise control that's not you know, uh, fancy uh, advanced technology that may one day be available. It's on stuff you can buy today. Um, the, the great thing is you don't need all the cars to do it. Uh, we, we've seen ex experimental studies where as few as 5% of the cars uh, driving with the right kind of cruise control on it can eliminate the traffic jams that the other 19 cars create. So you can still be a bad driver, at least as far as creating phantom traffic jams is concerned. And if enough Automated vehicles are driving just the right kind of cruise control. They can clean up our collective mistakes. But the problem, of course, is, you know, to go back to what Rob was saying, because uh, I have the same kind of thing on my car. You know, you can set the uh, spacing and the speed and all that other stuff. But then you get all these other, I'm trying to be diplomatic, jerks. I know. Yeah. Is that, is that diplomatic? Jerks? Idiots. 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 I think it's an official term. Yeah, yeah, yeah morons. Uh, I'm running out of I'm running out of words. Uh, who you know they they then start tailgating you, or they flash their lights, or they honk their horn even on a freeway, uh, and then they become very visibly angry. And then don't you run the risk, while you're being good, of actually creating a, a perhaps an accident because you force the guy behind you who is impatient to speed ahead, and then perhaps down the road they get into an accident. Yeah, I mean, th this is always the challenge, right? That we build these engineering systems and then those other people uh, get a chance to vote about how the traffic will evolve. I think in general, that's that's where I'm optimistic on vehicle automation. Uh, there's always gonna be bad drivers out there. There's always going to be aggressive drivers. They cause out, like an outsized problem for the rest of us. You know, a little bit of patience goes a long way on the roadway, not just for reducing our own stress, but for improving everyone else's stress levels as well. But but I feel like the chances that we're going to get wholesale changes in the way that most of us drive is relatively unlikely. Um, but the automation systems, the, you know, just even in a couple years, they've gone from being, you know, a little bit rough around the edges to much better. And I think more changes are in store soon that will make those systems even more capable. 
there's still driver assist. You know, you, we're still responsible for paying attention to the road, but those things, as they become more and more convenient and handle traffic mm -hmm. conditions better uh, and better, we're going to use them because they're because they're easy to use. All right, Dan Work, thank you so much, professor in civil and environmental engineering and computer science at Vanderbilt, helping us solve phantom traffic jams. You know, if you're one of those people that look to TikTok for health and medical advice, it's probably the wrong place to go, yet people still do it. And it sent some people to the hospital, too. One TikTok trend over the summer had women consume bee pollen because some influencers suggested it could boost estrogen levels and that would have the side effect of causing breasts to grow. And here to clear up the myths about bee pollen and explain potential dangers is Dr. Edwin Ramirez. He's the gynecological surgeon with Dignity Health, St. John's Regional Medical Center in Oxnard. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what is the danger of looking at TikTok and somebody says, hey, bee pollen, make your breasts grow. And you take <clears throat> the bee pollen. What happens? Yes. Well, uh, well, well number one, it's, uh, you know, bee pollen it is a... Uh, it's a uh, more of a naturopathic method that patients have been looking at to uh, to look for a, for a healthier lifestyle, um, whether it may be breast enhancement or or certain things that are not really scientifically proven. Um, but we do know that it does contain certain lipids and amino acids that can cause you know sometimes positive and negative stuff as well. Um, but more importantly, is uh, you know bee pollen is an allergen. It's it's a, it's a product that can have you know certain uh, consequences. Um, just to say, for example, it's a blood thinner. So a patient is on any type of blood thinner, uh, and if they take bee pollen, it can actually make things worse in regards to bleeding. Now, um, in regards to enhancing breast enlargement, um, there has been no scientifically proven uh, uh, data out there that says it can. I'm curious if you've encountered any patients who have gone that route. I I have actually, to be honest, like at least two patients and that's what really made me look into this to see, uh, like, what, what this is all about. Um, I do knew, I did, I, I did, I was familiar about bee pollen in the past, but never for the use of breast enhancement. Um, I've used, I've heard it used for other stuff. Again, um, this is again more of a naturopathic way on, on using it. But um, there's really been no data that says it has a huge benefit regarding breast enlargement. But I do have, I, I saw two patients that came to me with the same, you know, with this topic. What did it did it work for them? It did it. Um, I, as a matter of fact, one um, one patient has experienced severe abdominal discomfort and pelvic pain. Um, she did have a syndrome known as endometriosis, and she thought it was going to make her symptoms better and actually made it worse. Um, but she was taking it for breast enhancement, and I in in in, in her case, she had a a side effect to the uh, the breast pollen that she was taking. You know, social media has it taken back, uh, uh, taken us back to the the olden days where you had uh, traveling medicine salesmen and they sold snake oil, literal snake oil yeah. sometimes. But they had all manner of pills that would cure all manner of problems that you have. A lot of it, some of it was morphine, you know, and it knocked you out, so you didn't have your problem anymore. Um, have we gone back to those days where now we're we're getting snake oil all over our social media? I, you know, unfortunately, yes. You know that that's you know now now more with social media and and TikTok, uh, a lot of this is misleading information, and I think it's very important that um, that anytime a, a a person, individual, whether it be male or female, decides to take any type of product, um, whether it be synthetic or or naturopathic, 
and they should consult their uh, their primary health provider. Uh, you know, we we kind of have a better understanding of what this is all about and how it can help. You know, and affect their health. Right, but but here, doctors, is why it becomes complicated. I think, and and why maybe people do go to places like TikTok because let, let's let's look at a different kind of an example. Uh, people who have gone for decades into major pharmacies, you name them, they went into them uh, because they had cold symptoms. And maybe even their doctors told them, you know, well, you'll be fine with some over-the-counter stuff. And they go in and they buy uh, whatever the product happened to have been, only now to be told that just about all of those products, to use Rob's term before, were really nothing more than, than fancy packaged snake oil. Uh, and which is why they're being taken off the shelves now, because they did absolutely nothing. So it's a problem, isn't it? Because on the one hand, people are being warned, don't look at TikTok. This stuff isn't scientifically proven. On the other hand, they go in for years to pharmacies. They have their favorite medicines for colds. And now they're being told doesn't do anything. I couldn't agree with you 100 percent. You're absolutely right. How do you get around that? I mean, because it makes it difficult to instill confidence in almost anything. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, the bottom line is anytime there's a doubt and when somebody's going to implement something or administer something, um, they should always reach out to the primary doc, whether it's, you know, their general practitioner or, or even their OBGYN or their gynecologist like myself that really understands, you know, what effect and impact this can have on their overall health. Now, there are different natural and synthetic products that are out there, like in this case, to enhance estrogen production, um, such as, you know, something as simple as apples and, and sesame seeds, right? That do have some sort of estrogen-based product in them that can help with some of their symptoms. But when it comes to like stuff like, for example, bee pollen, um, there's, there's really no scientific data out there that shows that it has a huge benefit in women's health. All right, Dr. Edwin Ramirez, thank you so much. Uh, gynecological surgeon with Dignity Health, St. John's Regional Medical Center in Oxnard. Maybe just an overall warning. Uh, don't do medicine on TikTok. Well, and also, I mean, bee, I, I don't like bees, so right, uh, I right. want nothing to do with them. So, so not even bee pollen, forget it. No, I, I, I only like use honey because it comes in a, in a jar. In a jar. And, and it, I pretend it doesn't come from a bee. Well, I think it's made in a factory. That's what I think, too. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's in plastic, yeah. so it's good. I feel better about that. All right, that's it for KNX In-Depth today. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.